can go ahead and take a seat. And um, I invite you now to listen to our scripture this morning that's taken from the book of 1 Peter, uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Wives, accept the authority of your husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word, by their wives' conduct when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by the braiding your hair or by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in God's sight. Well, here we are making our way through, through the book of 1 Peter this semester in chapel, and we've had a lovely time in chapter 1, and we've had a wonderful time in chapter 2, and then all of a sudden, in the second half of chapter 2, wham, we are hit with some really difficult passages, right? Accept the authority of every human institution. Honor the emperor. Slaves, obey your master, even the cruel ones. And now, here again, we hit another difficult passage. Wives, accept the authority of your husbands. Be gentle and quiet. P Peter goes on to say, women are the weaker sex. These phrases are hard for me. They are hard for me to swallow. But this is the beautiful reality of reading through the Bible. The beautiful, terrible reality of reading through the Bible. As we read along and as we read thoroughly, instead of just picking and choosing our favorite verses here and there, inevitably, we are going to bump into some really challenging verses and stories. And so when this happens, we must lean into them rather than away from them and ask God and our faith community of friends and mentors and pastors and scholars to help shed light on how these stubborn threads of scripture can be woven together faithfully into the story of God. And when we do that, we can grow in our faith in maturity, in understanding of who God is and how God works in the world. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to lean in. So let's look at this first tricky verse in chapter 3, which says, Wives, in the same way, accept the authority of your husbands. So who is Peter addressing here? Wives. And this next phrase, in the same way, what is that referring back to? Wives, in the same way, what is Peter referring back to? Well, I know you don't have your Bibles right in front of you and we don't have a screen out here, so let me remind you, the section right before this is where Peter is talking about slavery. And he says, slaves, accept the authority of your masters. And right before that, Peter is talking about honoring the emperor. And we've talked through some of these passages this semester in chapel already. And these preachers this semester have already talked about when scripture, like in, in 1 Peter, is talking about all this authority, 
Peter is not recommending a blind acceptance of injustice, right? Peter is not, is not encouraging a blind acceptance of unjust hierarchy or authority. That wouldn't be consistent with the God that we see showing up in the Bible again and again. Instead, Peter is encouraging these persecuted Christians to witness to the gospel with their lives and not just with their words. And so the same holds up here in chapter 3 with this section on wives and husbands. So just a little background here, because like Forrest, when he was preaching on the section on slavery, he reminded us that whenever we hit a challenging passage, understanding the context is vital. It's vital to understanding these difficult passages. And so a a little note on background here. In this first century Roman world, society was very carefully structured around Roman law and this Roman idea called pater familia, which means literally father of the family or owner of the family. And what it meant was that the oldest living male in the family was the one in charge. He had the power and the authority and the expectation to shape his family. And everyone was expected to submit under his authority. And Roman officials instilled in these men that they needed to raise their families, raise their children and their spouses and these other family members to be good citizens of Rome, to honor their ancestral gods, to pay their taxes, to take good ownership over their land and their business. And what this did is it ensured for these Roman authorities that their power would continue unchallenged in all the world if every male of the household was made aware that they had this great power and responsibility to shape the family and to honor Rome. And in that way, these families could earn honor for their families. And so this is just kind of how the world turned. And so when a woman married into a family she was then required by this paterfamilia idea to leave everything that she knew about her family and her identity and become part of this new family. And so she left family members and social circles, and she left her religion and the way that she worshipped, and she adopted her husband's way of life. This was just kind of the cultural norm of the day. It was expected, even mandated. So with that in mind, with that context in mind, let's read this verse again and tell me what you notice. Wives, accept the authority of your husbands so that them do not obey the word. They may be won over without a word by their wives' conduct. Did you hear it in there? Peter is addressing these women who are Christians, and their husbands are not Christians. He's addressing women who have already bucked the authority of their husbands on one of the most important things possible, their faith commitment. These are bold women who are pushing back against the cultural norm of the day And they're probably even suffering for it. And so Peter is encouraging them. He's telling them, look, you've already smashed the patriarchy in this way. So 
Let your husband take the lead in these other areas, not because this is some general principle for how marriage works, but because of the gospel, in hopes that he might one day also come to know Jesus. This is a leadership evangelistic strategy here. Witness to the gospel, Peter says, with your whole life and not just with your words. Wow, okay. So what started off as a really challenging passage for me all of a sudden becomes empowering and convicting. A call to live a life that's consistent and that compels others, even in my closest circles, to know more about what motivates me to live so beautifully. I mean, I don't know about you, but there's days, maybe at this point years, when I'm sure that my attitude and my actions don't exactly compel Derek to ask what motivates me to be such a lovely person to live with. Now, not many of us here are married, right? We're not, I mean, I am. I'm married. But uh, not many of you here are married. You're not wives and husbands. And some of you may get married one day. And some of you may not get married one day. But the beautiful thing about this passage, this particular passage, is that there is still perhaps even more to learn about how to witness to the gospel with our whole lives and not just our words more than there is about how to be married, which is good news for us, right? Because although you are not married yet, I would venture to bet that some of you right now are living with a roommate who does not know Jesus. And I would guess that some of you are running in circles with friends who are skeptical about Christianity. And I would guess that some of you are headed into jobs and careers where you might be the only Christian around. And so how do we live in close proximity with those who are not Christians in such a way that invites them to know more about Jesus? And so what does Peter say here? What is he saying to these Christian women who are hoping that their close ones come to know Christ and the kingdom of God. He says, Do not adorn yourselves outwardly by braiding your hair and by wearing gold ornaments or fine clothing. Rather, let your adornment be the inner self with the lasting beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious to God's sight. Peter encourages them not to focus their attention on outward things, right? What they wear, what they look like, how they dress. Human beings look at the outward appearance, the Old Testament tell us, tells us, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so instead, Peter is encouraging these Christians to spend their time focusing on the inner self, their inner life with God, cultivating a quiet and a gentle spirit, gentleness, of course, which is one of the fruits of the spirits of the spirit listed in the book of Galatians. But still, that kind of leaves me with a question here. What is a gentle and a quiet spirit? Like, what if my personality doesn't line up with that, right? How do I still embody this call to witness to the gospel? Um, this is going to sound a little bit like a Sunday school answer, but I think it holds up. I think we can look 
to Jesus, to his life and his example, as a model for what it means to live with this gentle and quiet spirit. Dr. Hanluen Concert Comline, who's a theologian, an Augustine scholar, and a friend of mine, says this about 1 Peter 3. This is one of my favorite quotes of all times, I think. She says, in looking to Christ, we can see that submissiveness is not passivity. Gentleness is not cowardice. Quietness is not quietude. And weakness is never what it seems. For to be weak is not to be watered down or wishy-washy. To be weak is not to be sidelined from the action. To be weak is not to be second class. To be weak is to take on the perfect spiritual form of power. To be weak is to be God's preferred. To be weak is to be like the God that we worship. For the Bible tells us that our Lord, born in the backwater of the Roman Empire, submitted himself to the humblest of human circumstances for our sake. It tells us that when falsely accused, he stood quiet without a word, silently proclaiming the good news of our salvation in the unadorned truth of the gospel. Well, you know, when I was a first-year student in college, I had five roommates. There were six of us 18-year-old women all living together in the same room. And we were all really different people at different places in life and faith. But one of these roommates of mine, she was adamantly not a Christian. And one of these roommates of mine, she was very seriously a Christian. And so these two were living together uh, very differently, but in the same place. And this first roommate, she came to college with more clothes and purses and makeup and shoes that would fit in her single standard issue dresser and closet from the university. And so she kept all of her stuff actually at her boyfriend's house. And she would just kind of rotate a different load in every week um, with what she thought she needed. And as as I looked at her and kind of got to know her that year, I felt sort of this this heart tug because it seemed like she was trapped in the lie of comparison. She was trapped in this comparison lie where she felt like she needed to put up this fancy front to get people to like her. Now, the second roommate of mine, she took her faith very seriously. And at one point, she felt like all this new college pressure of appearance, having to look a certain way to make Uh, friends with certain people, all of that had gotten too much for her, and she didn't like what it was doing to her mind and her heart, and so she covered up all of her mirrors in the room for a week. She made a vow. She said, I'm not going to look in any mirror for a week or put on any makeup for a week or do my hair for a week, and instead I'm going to spend that time in the morning at my desk with my Bible trying to reorient myself. Woo! the looks that that first roommate shot at this other roommate were ugly. She just could not comprehend. Why would you do that? And honestly, these two never got along that whole year. They just had different priorities. 
Um, and band, you can come back up while I finish this story. But can I tell you something, though? So fast forward about seven years after we graduated, and all six of us got together online, and this roommate who was not a Christian in college, she had a come-to-Jesus moment, and she became this faithful, Jesus-loving, life-giving human and she was married, and she had this little girl, and their family was very active in ministry things. And you know what? She is the one who started this little get-together in hopes of being able to tell this other roommate what an impact she made on her just by the different way that she lived her life. And it was beautiful to watch this witness of the gospel in our little freshman room. Now, of course, it's okay to look in the mirror, and of course, none of us can be perfect in how we live. That's why we need Jesus, right? But we can lean into this idea from 1 Peter 3 about witnessing to the gospel with our whole lives and not just with our words. Amen? Amen. You can go ahead and stand with us.
Like you're in need of prayer this morning, I want to invite you to meet with Chrissy or Janelle by this tall tree over here. They'd love to pray with you. And now receive this benediction. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, may you have the power and the imagination and the creativity and the courage to live out the fruits of the Spirit in such a way that others want to know more about the Jesus who motivates your life. In the, in the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ, amen. Go in peace.